0: Good day, Brigade! This is Bobby, coming at you with another episode of the Mongoose Brigade. In today's topic, we're gonna discuss why prices are going up, what we can do about it, and how can we put this in relation to everything else that's going on right now. (laughs) Though I'm sure you've probably heard from at least half a million fucking sources by now on that one. Anyways, before we continue on, we'd like to give a little bit of an update on what's been going on with the whole Russian invasion. And yes, it is an invasion, in spite of what Russian oligarchs might tell you otherwise. Or a couple of even American oligarchs might tell you. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, beat with a brick. But basically, as we currently see the situation on the ground, Russia has been largely halted. They are making some-ish gains, but very slow and very, very difficult to move forward. The Ukrainian people have been very successful in defending their home, and at least as of last confirmed update on our part... A, Zelensky's still alive and well and fighting alongside his people, the people are still fighting as a whole, and Russia currently holds zero of ten super significant cities. Which means your blitzkrieg over Ukraine kind of failed miserably. Essentially, what you didn't want to happen, happened. Now, a lot of people think of this a lot like the invasion of Poland, but as a flop in World War II. Realistically, it's probably more reasonable to think of it as World War I, the miserable failure of the Schlieffen Schlieffen Plan. See, the Schlieffen Klan in World War I didn't work super well because the whole... Yeah, Belgium and the Dutch not wanting Germany to just come over, so they just sabotaged everything, made it hard as hell for the Germans to just walk right on through, thus giving the French plenty of time to at least prepare some sort of defense and thus halt the Germans before they could really get anywhere. Kind of like what the Ukrainian people are doing to Russia now. They are sabotaging, destroying, and doing every little thing they can to make it hard as hell for the Russian military. And it's working. In fact, the international aid to the Ukraine has been very helpful to them as well. Though they do still need more of it, and they are still more than willing to accept cash donations, volunteers, anything. Anything that'll help them, they'll take. Anyways, let's hit you with a little bit of a fact. Did you know that as of yesterday, the United States Senate has unanimously, yes, you heard right, unanimously, voted to stay permanently on daylight savings time starting in 2023. Now, this isn't a law yet, but the fact that the Senate 100% agreed on anything A, is in itself a freaking miracle, and B, kind of shows that there's almost a guarantee that the United States will be ending the whole nonsense of clock setting for Daylight Savings Time. Anyways, now we're going to be heading into price talks, inflations, trades, and sanctions. On with the show! So as we've mentioned, we're going to be talking about some of the uh, whole idea of prices going up in the American Union, and like crazy, many of you probably think first and foremost gas prices, which, yeah, that would be the first and foremost go-to for a lot of you. But let's talk about a little bit of the causes. So first and foremost, let's address the elephant in the room, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, though in terms of like gas prices and such. Believe it or not, you wouldn't think that this would have a great effect on the American Union, especially given that we don't really rely heavily on Russian oil and in fact get it more from the Middle East. But, there are a couple key things to note. One, Russia's in this wonderful little organization called OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries, and, well, the Saudis are kind of weird. Believe it or not, they treat us like a bitch. And when you consider the relationship between the Saudi dynasty of Arabia and the American Union, yeah, they do treat us like we're bitches. But that's an interesting thing about it. Why would this overall affect prices? Well, because OPEC has a large control over global supply of oil. And even so, while we may not necessarily import Russian oil ourselves, Russia does export its oil around the world. And many of these countries joining us in these sanctions have also banned the importing of Russian oil. So, what does this do? In terms of basic economics, you've reduced the global supply available to your particular part of the world, but have done nothing to reduce the demand, and in fact, arguably, the demand is only going to go up. Especially during the spring and heading into the summer months when people are going to go out traveling and vacationing and all that and are more likely to use gas and fuel for their vehicles. So you've basically got the situation where gas prices were already going to start a slow steady climb simply due to the fact that we are talking about heading into a more gas demanding month and season. And in addition to that you've shortened your global supply that is providable to your particular part of the world. Kind of the reason why, historically, we're always promoting free trade over protectionism, actually. Some other important causes, though, especially within the American Union, would be the rising inflation and all that entails. And the fun debates and arguments that go on there. My god, we have our own little, uh, spiel on that. As you probably noticed. If you've actually went over our previous episodes, anyway. <laughs> and some old protectionist policies as many might know as America First Policies. Protectionism by any other name is still shit. But part of this is it's limiting our trade and abilities and limiting what we can import because of tariffs, particularly on a nation called the People's Republic of China. China. And, well, believe it or not, Xi Jinping has a mind of his own, he does not have to think on the ideas of the American Union and, believe it or not, those trade policies served a purpose i.e. keeping China from allying with Russia so steadfastly Yeah, I think there was an orange man who kinda torpedoed all of that and decided to impose things like tariffs on the Chinese people because he thought that Oh, it'll make it so that they can't get their stuff in here. Yeah, that was dumb. That was incredibly dumb. Because A, those trade policies with China weren't just to promote our own trade and improve our own economy, but they were also kind of there to stop China from doing things we didn't want them to do. You know, kind of having this thing called trade leverage. And B, believe it or not, when you expand and open up your trade to larger berth of networks, you can mitigate problems like sanctions, embargoes, and tariffs. You know that thing China did by going to Russia after we told them no. Yeah, seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? <laughs> well, anyways, that would be our biggest, pro- one of our biggest problems there, and especially why this situation is really, really, really tricky. So we just got one question to ask you right now. Do we sound enough like a broken record yet? Anyways, we'd be a little bit remiss if we didn't actually take the time to discuss solutions with you and just kept spouting problem after problem after problem after problem. That's not where we like to be in the brigade. We like to be a little more goal and solution oriented. So, what are some of our ideas to do this? Well, number one, we can end tariffs with China and try to re-establish the old ties to them with our best of our ability. Why? Partly so we can bring China back under our wing, but also so we can try to ease some of the issues with supply chain. Cause, yeah, we're kind of having a bit of a problem with that one there. China was a large trading partner of ours, and not only did we just give them things, but we also received some nice things in return, i.e. stuff for our food. Like feed and shit. Yeah, it was really nice to have that. We also got a lot of pork and such from them as well. You may not realize it quite yet. We were kind of dependent on a lot of shit China was providing. And while it would be great to boost domestic production and all that, and we're never against boosting domestic production, it just remains that Someone thought protectionist policies automatically means boost of domestic production. Which it doesn't! Yes, there's a correlation between tariffs and protectionist policies that does tend to lead to an increase in jobs and domestic production. But at the same time, there are some things you just can't domestically produce, or you're so out of practice domestically producing them that you don't really have anyone with the skills or knowledge necessary to produce them, or even the means for that matter. And the means might be being choked out by a variety of other reasons. You know, that whole thing that kind of eliminated the industry in the first place, which wasn't solely trade. It was obsolescence. The need for going forward with your goddamn development as a nation. Though we can argue about the whole concept of development as a whole. Because that's another fun topic. that might get be, that's potentially rooted well, is rooted heavily in Western ideals, and as a result can kind of get really weird, especially when you talk about cultural context. But anyways, that's not where we're going on about. The next and second thing we would like to promote, and this one should be a little bit obvious to people, is we'd like to reduce sanctions and, embargo- and embargoes on nation-states that are quote-unquote showing good behavior. In other words, not doing shit that's blatantly attacking us, or insulting us, or firing at us. For example, we could probably try doing this thing like removing an embargo on Cuba. Why do we have an embargo on Cuba in the first place? Well, it's kind of complicated. It deals with Cold War, communism, and all that. However, in this modern day and age, those embargoes are obsolete as hell, do very little to prevent the communist state of Cuba from being not communist, And have proven time and again that it's not really destroying Cuba any more than they already are. Thus, when President Obama removed the embargo on Cuba, it was actually a very pivotal moment for both the island and the United States. And then an angry Oompa Loompa, more interested in getting the votes of Cuban refugees rather than actually dealing with the issues of the nation-state of Cuba, decided, no, we need to put embargoes back on them. Look, I understand, there's a need to want to change your government in Cuba and you've come over to the American Union with that idea in mind. That's not a problem. But if Ukraine has shown us anything, it's that you can't just stand idly by and rely on another nation state to fight your battles for you. You have to come to your own defense at some time. You need to fight for your own, fight for your home. And, while I may hate to say it as much, to tell someone else to go out and do that... It's kind of a thing you need to do, Cuba. You can't rely on the American Union to determine what it is to be Cuban. That's kind of like relying on Russia to tell you what it means to be Ukrainian. Which, if we know what their defin, If we know Putin's particular definition is, uh... (laughs) And it's like... Do you really want that from the American Union? Because at best, you become an American puppet state. No, 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 sorry, sorry. We call them as free association states. But they're essentially the same thing. Sorry, kind of went on a whole... If you're going to fight your own battle... If you want to fight for freedom of Cuba, fight for your own battles kind of thing. Sorry about that. And again, not against the idea of even supporting you in your whole take back your homeland, just don't expect us to do the job for you, kind of thing. Which means don't pick politicians that are just gonna try to do the job for you. Especially when you're not gonna go home to fight for your own country and effectively have just basically decided to become an American. Don't get me wrong, again, if you want Cuba, go for Cuba. We can fight for Cuba, we can help you with that fight. But when it comes down to it, it's all on you. That's kind of where we go back to our ideas of sovereignty. Anyways, moving on. Our next (laughs) idea for a solution would be establish a free trade policy with all that can be considered proper allies and ease import costs and quicken supply chains. So by establishing this free trade policy, which we actually kind of already have to a certain degree with a lot of our allies right now in the world, I believe NAFTA originally was one of those ideas. Though so that one's been torpedoed, so we're going to have to rebuild that. Uh, <laughs> our trade with most of the European powers is largely free trade with very limited sanctions and export and import fees and all that and stuff. That so we could make it a true free trade pact, bring that into NATO, which would be really nice to have. Especially since it would cheapen the cost of sending anything over to Europe and vice-versa. We wouldn't have to be a part of the European Union. Another thing we could do is increase domestic oil production in the short term and use that time to develop alternative energy sources for long-term cases in easement. Like, for example, use all the federal land that exists in desert environments that aren't national parks and construct solar arrays on them. A similar thing can also be done with eastern and western mountain slopes. Additionally, we could build proper infrastructure for harnessing any and all geothermal energy sources, which we don't have a shit ton of, but we do have quite a few. Mostly on the Pacific coast. Could develop and build coastal wave breaks for capturing tidal energy. A Less than common one, but it's definitely possible, definitely doable and would be an interesting way of harnessing hydroelectric power. We could develop an all-electric rail system, reducing the need for diesel fuel and coal for train transport. Though more often than not, diesel fuel these days. (laughs) Promoting and producing usable biodiesel would also help a lot with that. And in addition to that, we could use the recently developing marijuana industry to use hemp oil to produce diesel. Because believe it or not, one of the original sources of biodiesel, at least one of the first sources of diesel of any kind, came from hemp oil. It wasn't the first first, but it was one of the first. From there, we can also assess the cost of solar panels for the home, and if viable, install them in place of other energy sources, such as the coal that we use to power our electricity and all that or even the natural gas or propane that we might use for our home. Additionally, we can also declare a temporary tax holiday for gas and oil and shift part of the military budget towards covering the loss in other parts of the national budget. Now you might be like, shh, slow down. Should we really be reducing the military budget in any way, especially with the way the conflict's going around? And to that, I say yes. Why? Well, it's a twofold reasoning. The first is, A, we already have way more fucking money in the military budget than we'll ever reasonably need to put there. In fact, we far surpass even the topmost of our enemies in that, in that budget. So we could easily afford to disperse it elsewhere. And second, it'll show Russia that our intentions are not to go to war if we can avoid it. Our intentions are to make sure that economic easement can occur and that things will be easier, as easy as possible for everyone involved. It'll kind of show a spit in the face of the whole idea and rhetoric Putin's trying to throw around. It can't look like the American Union and NATO is looking to go to war and take over what Russia considers its sphere of influence if its biggest leader is showing that it's not interested in putting too much more into its military budget. Of course, Russians might see this as a, ooh, they're weak, but, as I'd like to refer to you earlier, as we said, we put way more spending into our military budget than even our top enemies. So again, it wouldn't be a huge dent to take even one or 2% of that budget, which, by the way, would be a couple billion dollars. And a couple billion dollars in anything would be a huge boost. Another thing, and probably the last thing we're gonna mention on this list that we can do is transition from a property tax to a land value tax. Told you we'd get it in. With a higher tax bracket, arguably a tax penalty, for large amounts of land that are being held for investment and speculation and or land not being developed. Basically, if you have a huge plot of land that you're just sitting on, waiting to get that six mil from it as it matures in value due to the things around it, we could impose an even higher land tax on top of the current land tax that would be, instead of just going with property taxes, and deter said investment of unused land. Because holding land for speculation is really, 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 really devastating. In fact, in many states where you have an incredibly high cost of living, that's in large part of the problem is that land is being held and ter- things are being, properties being held purely for its investment value and not at all for being actually used. In fact, there should be a tax penalty of some kind for this. Because you're essentially embargo holding the land under embargo and saying nobody can fucking use it because I want to make more money off of it simply existing and the neighborhood around it growing. And if we recall... This is the main argument for GEOISM. Fight the landlord, free the land, free the people, and free the trade. This is where we go back to our core tenet of GEOISM, which is a land value tax to fight the investment and speculation notion and actually develop and use the land to help promote the greatest needs for all the peoples. Where would this land tax go? into social programs that would in turn help improve the conditions of people and improve the value of the land around it. So that in turn, yay, your land increases in value. But also, we gain more from that tax so we can put more into social programs and development and things that might be important. Like, hmm, maybe reducing the cost of gas and shit? Which we totally could do! Or, if you really want to and don't want to put it back into social programs, we could also refund it give it back as a rebate to the people you know kind of like a little bit of an extra for your taxes every tax season you just get a little bit extra there for your land value rebate which honestly could work out very well and mathematically has been proven i refer you to the henry george theorem so Obviously, we have some solutions, and we've got an idea of why the prices are going up. Now will all these solutions have to be implemented? Probably not. In fact, you could probably get away with like two or three of them being pretty sufficient as this invasion is likely to go nowhere and... Well, as one analyst put it in, honestly, myself, this whole conflict is likely to be over around the end of May. Why? Usually, you get about a couple months of questionable, but no one's going to touch it, quote-unquote, security action. Now, this is particularly with the United States and the War Powers Clause and all that, and a bunch of other fun stuff that gets involved in this. But basically, as the president being the commander-in-chief, and this has really become a precedent around the world, we have... In our interventionist policies jumped around and committed a lot of policing security actions in reality wars conflicts invasions that kind of thing <laughs> and you usually have the pretext of about 90 days before we have to get it approved by our Congress or something like that or get it noted as hey this is an issue now there are like a bunch of other loopholes and shit that can get around this and all that In fact, part of this is why we were even in Afghanistan in the first place. But the idea has kind of become an unspoken standard is if you're going to do something crazy like that, you get 90 days before everyone's going to come in and say, all right, this is enough. And even so, logistically speaking, Russia won't be able to last much longer than 90 days on this operation. Not without some serious repercussions happening. Now, is this the end of Putin? Unfortunately, not likely. Putin will probably still have the means to crack down and keep and maintain control over the Russian people. Unfortunately. One day you'll be free, Russian people. One day. Unfortunately, we can't just kill the guy, though. they will just continue the problem. But, anywho... Will these solutions work? We feel at least a few of them have some pretty good merit and would, at very least, be a huge boost to the American Union as a whole. And if nothing else, adding them into our laws already would be a good idea just to help improve our conditions in general. But... We shall see what happens in the future. And honestly, if we just took one or two of these ideas and put them into practice, we'd be happy because it means someone actually sat down thought about it for a minute and thought okay how can we hurt them and help ourselves anyways that's our show for you thank you for tuning in if you did and wow this has been an interesting one i know we'd say this season would be a lot more about ideology and such and That's kind of why we're trying to tie it back into our own personal ideology and all that, trying to give a little more of how our perspective formulates from this and all this. But as a current, we feel there's a great need to at very least talk about these issues. So, if you feel like you need to help out in any way, shape, or form, As usual, you can donate to the Ukrainian Red Cross, you can donate to Ukraine in general. A lot of charitable organizations are currently sending their money towards Ukraine and their issue, in their crisis right now. And if you really wanted to, if you happen to know where the diplomatic mission for Ukraine is, you can join the Ukrainian Volunteers, or the Ukrainian Foreign Legion, or whatever they call themselves, and actually get involved. Or you can also write your congressman, or if you're a Trump supporter, tell Trump to shut the fuck up about supporting Putin. Because as much as he wants to say he doesn't, he definitely does. Also, there's this thing going around, and I just want to address this very quickly. Particularly with former president, I hate saying that, former President Trump going on about how He was the first to stand up against Russia, and he was the greatest, and he has been the hardest opponent to Russia. Yeah, his track record history and and election campaigns would like to say the opposite. And in fact, even one of his former security advisors, John Bolton, says the opposite. (laughs) There is not a single person that thinks this favorably unless you genuinely have shut yourself out from all truth. But then again, have you done that at this point, you're probably not listening to the Brigade. Anyways, thank you again for listening, especially to that little tag-on in the end there. Again, if you'd like to help, go to the Ukrainian Red Cross website, go to anything that will support Ukraine in general. I believe we even have a link there on our Facebook page. You can also support Razom, who is currently giving out for that, is currently taking donations for Ukraine too. In fact, they are a Ukrainian-based organization that started way back in the whole Euro and all that. So, uh, they've been there a while, and this is like central to the whole thing they're doing. And it's amazing what the work they've done has achieved. Anyways, thank you for listening. As always, like us, hate us, share us regardless. Say, hey, this man's a brilliant mind with some great ideas. Or, wow, this man is crazy, psychotic, and potentially full of himself. So here's some of his crazy thoughts. And, uh, yeah, just give us all the support you can in terms of listenership and viewership. But more importantly, give even more support to Ukraine. Because they're fighting for everything right now. Anyways, thank you for listening. This has been Bobby Barnett. Have a great night and a pleasant tomorrow. And those who wish not to be tread on should mind where they step.